Okay. It's great to see everybody, <clears throat> and I'm honored and happy to be with all of you in this space-time. Um, my space-time is a little different than yours. It's uh, about 8.30 here. Um, yeah, so it's evening, um, and I can see the sun shining there. Um, quite beautifully. The sun always shines in California, though. <laughs> That's just my view. Um, and I can still remember um, how uh, caring um, and sweet my visit was. And um, how awesome it was to be with Edie uh, during her transmission um, and with the beautiful Sangha there. Um, you guys rock in the Buddha field and I hope you're keeping it going for all beings. Um, it's quite, you're awesome, each and every one of you individually and collectively. Um, so I just wanna really, uh, express my deep gratitude and appreciation for Patrick, Edie, and each one of you. Um, I would like to start with uh, acknowledging that I'm on Dakota and Anishinaabe homelands, um, and I'm committed to untangling my twisted karma of settler colonialism. And I offer homage to our Japanese, Chinese, and all our Asian ancestors who have generously offered us this great practice of Zen. I offer homage to all our teachers who support and offer their compassion and wisdom to us. And I offer homage to our family and our friends for the myriad ways that they support us in our practice. Um, tonight, I um, offer um, my unfolding understanding of two of one of the Diamond Sutra and also Dogen Zenji's fascicle on the eight awakenings of great beings. And actually, I was just thinking prior to the meditation practice that the title of my talk is Practicing the Way in Uncertainty. Um, because I don't know about you, 
but uh, the world seems to be rocking and rolling and really um, kind of sometimes chaotic and um, uncertain ways. So I, I feel that these teachings um, have been, have offered some stability, um, if that's possible within the swirl of chaos. Um, so I would like to offer uh, glimpses of what I've been investigating and just speak a bit about my understanding. And then I would like to open it up because I'm very curious about your thoughts and your responses and reactions to um, what's been brought forward. Because I see this as a conversation and a dialogue in which we're refining each other. Um, even though it's virtual, we're intimately connected um, in ways that we know in ways that are unknown to us. Um, so I'm committed, I'm committed to um, tw about 25 minutes, because I've already spoken about five. <laughs> so um, I just want to make sure that um, everybody's who wants to bring their voice into this time and circle that there's that opportunity and encouragement. Um, in the text that I'm using for um, the Diamond Sutra is Red Pines translation. Um, I really, uh, I just resonate with him. And um, with Dogen Zenji's fascicle, and I'll speak more about this later on, I've used a couple of translations. Um, Kaz Tanahashi's uh, Treasury of the True Dharma Eye. And um, I found another one, uh, Zen Master Dogen, an introduction with selective writings by Yuho Yoko, Yokyo, um, with Daisen Victoria. Um, and, and then there's uh, Nishijima and Cross, too. Um, but these two, this one and Causes, have been um, the two that I was, I have been focusing on. Um, with the Diamond Sutra, the sutra begins with Buddha making his begging rounds, eating, putting on his robes, and or excuse me, he's making his begging begging rounds. He's he comes back, he eats, then he puts away his robes and puts his bowls away, and then washes his feet and sits down on a seat. Crossing his legs and adjusting his body, he turns his awareness to what, what was before him. And I think that this 
is just it's a wonderful teaching um because what i how i understand that process is the buddha is just moving through conditions and folding into them and just doing the next activity step by step by step and when he's done and he's in his seated position sabuti sabuti is um and some of you may know this sabuti is one of the great disciples who has a reputation for friendliness and kindness and he's he's kind of an older dude too an older monk um but he's been practicing a while and sabuti approaches the buddha with great humility and respect respect and asks the question if a noble son or daughter sets forth on the bodhisattva path how does a noble son or daughter stand how should they walk and how should they control their thoughts this this question that sabuti is asking the buddha is the question that many of us ask ourselves he's asking it on behalf of all beings it's it, i can just imagine him in front of the buddha asking the buddha buddha how how do we act how do we stand how do we work with our minds in the midst of what's happening um how do we go through life in a good way um and the buddha replies to sabuti sabuti those who set forth on the bodhisattva path should thus give birth to this thought that's a very important sentence and i'll come back to it later however many beings there are in whatever realms beings might exist whether they are born from an egg or born from a womb born from water or born from the air they whether they have no form or form whether they have perception or no perception in whatever conceivability conceivable realm of being one might conceive of beings in the realm of complete nirvana i shall liberate them all that to me is awesome because what the buddha is saying is there's no exceptions to who the bodhisattva helps who the bodhisattva liberates it's just it's inconceivable that uh all beings are included in our vow um in this this is our aspiration for ourselves and all beings to serve in a good in a way that is helpful in a way that um 
doesn't create harm or lessens the harm because we're not perfect as human beings. We're not, I don't know about you, maybe there's some realized people <laughs> in this realm, in this Buddha field um, that are realized, um, but I just wanna acknowledge that I am not. Um, I am working um, to live in bow, um, to be the best bodhisattva I can with this mind-body complex. Um, and then there's, uh, along with the vow is we chant and we'll chant these great vows later on tonight. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are in inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. The Buddha way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize this. this. These vows are unattainable, and yet we align ourselves with these vows and do what is within our capacity to relieve suffering for ourselves and for all beings. Though our delusions are endless, we make efforts to bring awareness to them. Though Dharma gates are beyond our conceived bounds of thinking, we do our best to study the teachings and, the pra and practice them. In the Buddha way, we cannot exceed it, and yet we vow to bring it in full view. This is, uh, this is a great practice for us. Um, Okamura, Okamura Roshi writes in Living by Vow, there, there is an inherent contradiction to these vows. We can, we do things that are impossible. This means that our practice is endless and that we cannot completely fulfill the four vows. And I think that's wisdom because if we could complete the vows, our ego would immediately, or at least mine would, immediately attach to the vow and to this mind thinking, I did it, I made it, how great am I, right? So it's these vows are uh, a way of, um, giving us something to aim for and to align our being with, but the inconceivability creates a groundlessness in which the ego has nowhere to land. And that creates possibilities. Um, so I'm noticing the time um, and I always have, I am more ambitious with, what I want to offer, um, then I have time and maybe it's all about me just wanting to talk too. Um, so these, um, the living, living in the vow is an invitation for us to align ourselves 
and to realize when we're being pulled by karma and to realign ourselves with our vow, making amends and repairing relationships with all beings when a mistake has occurred, because that's, that's, that's our humanity. We will make mistakes. Um, and repair is part of um, pivoting ancient twisted karma. Um, so I want to go back to Buddhist teaching on giving birth to the thought of serving all beings. This to me is really important because we use this mind to Let's, how can I say this? Um, we use this mind to as a via, as an instrument for our practice in liberating ourselves and liberating all beings. There is no other mind but this mind that I have, this ordinary mind. So it's important that, and this is something. Um, I feel that is uh, really essential in our practice that it's not about getting rid of our minds or annihilating our minds or cutting them off. It's about really bringing the mind into full view and having compassion um, and working from compassion. Um, this uh, this mind, it's amazing because this mind is where our bodhicitta arises, our desire to um, free ourselves and free all beings and awaken. Bodhi, awaken. Chitta, mind. We arouse bodhicitta with this ordinary mind. That is to me, that's awesome. I want to shift now to um, Dogen Zenji's fascicle of the eight awarenesses of great beings. This is uh, Hachi Dainin Gaku. Um, I think that this fascicle is connected to Subhuti's question to the Buddha. How do we take care of ourselves and all beings in the great earth in a good way? I want to say right up front, I'm not a Dogen scholar. I am a practitioner who is helped by Dogen's teachings, Dogen Zenji's teachings. Um, I find them profound. Um, and this Fascicle, this is the last uh, known writing instruction before Dogen passed. He wrote this in the first month, January of 1953, and he passed eight months later. And all this, this teaching, this fascicle is based on Buddha's last teaching before at midnight before the Buddha entered Peri Nirvana. And I 
to me, these teach these this teaching these well both the Diamond Sutra and this fascicle are teachings on how to be fuller human beings. Um, <clears throat> they are they this fascicle with Dogen is about living with the precepts in the arising conditions. It's about, and it includes wisdom and samadhi. Samadhi being concentration, gathering the mind, focusing the mind. Um, and I want to acknowledge that I listened to um, Alan Sanaki Roshi, his Dharma talk on this fascicle, as well as reading um, the, the two books that I met, mentioned. This fascicle is, from my view, it's straightforward and goes back to the basic Buddhist practices, practices of moral teaching, on the surface, it appears basic. On a deeper level, it's more complex and dynamic in the arising conditions because it's, there's no static way to respond really to the arising conditions if we, through our practice, developing a flexible mind so that as the conditions are arising, we have the flexibility to respond in a fresh and new way through our practices. These practices include the causes and effect and also pivoting our habit energies when we're out of alignment of our vow. And so I want to go through the eight practices and these practices aren't linear, um, though I'm going to speak like one, two, three, four, like as if they are linear. They are not linear. These practices, each practice is embedded in each and every other practice. So Dogen says that, yes, there are eight practices, but within those eight, each practice is embedded in, uh, in each of them. So there are actually 64 practices. Um, so the first practice is freedom from greed, to have few desires and not seeking to gain, not be in the swirl of sense desires, hold by what we want, what we like, and being aware of our need for fame, for gain, and in the knowing the um, kind of the insidiousness of greed, because greed is kind of uh, it's kind of uh, icy, icy in the way that's slippery, because it has a feeling of joy. So sometimes when it's hard to discern, am I joyful or is this kind of like my hungry ghost arising, greed arising? Um, 
and developing the ability to discern when greed is arising and pausing and letting it pass. The second one is being satisfied, knowing when enough is enough. Um, that to me is, uh, that's a practice in and of itself, to know when enough is enough, not just as an individual, but as a collective beings. Um, yeah. And then the third is enjoying quiet, enjoying serenity. And Okamura Roshi writes, this does not simply mean silent or without noise in the external world. When our mind is torn in two or in many pieces, there's always dispute, conflict, and anxiety. Such conditions make our mind unsettled and agitated. More often when we sit in a quiet place or zendo, we begin to hear the noise from the inside. Our zazen of letting go of thoughts allows us to sit immovably with, be, with being pulled, without being pulled by those conditions. I think this is really important that we can, the, it doesn't necessarily, a quiet place doesn't necessarily have to be a zendo, though that's awesome to have that space, but a place that's quiet in the, um, I go to the river a lot to just sit and observe. And you, when you get quiet, you can really see your mind and not to take the mind seriously and not to respond to the mind through action. Um, allows us to pivot our karma, not to react, but to what um, Okamura Roshi says, opening the hand of thought, allowing the mind to open and relax. The fourth is diligent effort, continuous practice in all aspects of our lives, not just the zendo, but with our family, with our friends, with our colleagues, wherever we are in the grocery store. Not The fifth is not to neglect mindfulness, to practice mindfulness, practice the application of placing the mind what is in front of us. Sixth, practicing meditation. The Buddha said, if you gather your mind, it will abide in stability. That, that's awesome. Um, number seven, cultivating wisdom, listening, contemplating, and observing arising insights. Because I, I think many of us have experienced where when we get into a quiet space, we see our minds, and then once our minds start to settle, insights or other kinds of processes begin to come forward a deeper level of awareness begins to organically emerge as a result this is wisdom um the buddha said 
If you have wisdom, you are free from greed. Ooh, I like that. Because if I'm free from greed, that means my joy is real. Um, you will always reflect on yourself and avoid mistakes. If you are illuminated with wisdom, even if you use your physical eyes, you will have clear insight. That's beautiful. Number eight, not to have hollow conversations. I, I think this is interesting, too, because it's a practice of skillful speech and deep listening. I don't know about you, but sometimes when um, I'm like talking, just chit-chatting about certain things or or sometimes maybe even gossiping, I got to admit, I'm working on it. Um, it takes your mind away and the energy is dispersed. And one thing I'm working on practicing with is what I've just what, what Buddha says is gathering the mind so that the mind isn't confused it's not in the swirl of the chaos it has the possibility of some clarity within the confusion that's arising so I think that to me is that's where wisdom comes in having the wisdom to like, oh, do I really want to be engaging in this kind of conversation or dialogue? Do I want to pivot it a little bit? Um, so in closing, I want to say that Dogen concludes the fascicle with how difficult it is to come into contact with Buddhist teaching and how difficult it was born how difficult it is to be born as a human being and what a precious opportunity we have. And he encourages us to study and practice these eight aspects of awakening and to share these teachings with all beings, with compassion and wisdom. And what does this look like to me? To me, it's similar how the Buddha began his day as stated in the Diamond Sutra. He gets up, he puts on his patched robe and picks up his bowl and enters the capital of Shirvasti for offerings. And I'd like to close too with a gatha in the Diamond Sutra. It's and some of you may know this as a lamp a cataract, a star in space, an illusion, a dewdrop, a bubble, a dream, a cloud, a flash of lightning, view all created things like this. Thank you. Thank you for your time in your presence. So I really, I don't know if this is going to be facilitated, but if people would please feel free to bring their voices into the circle and any comments that you have, I welcome you.
thank you for the talk. Uh, very, very helpful. And that's all for AIDS for gathering the mind uh, and uh, inspiration to be doing that every day. So thank you so much. <clears throat> Liz, it's good to see you. <laughs> yes, to practice this every day. Is that you, Sandra? Yes. <laughs> good to um, see you. Good to see you. So I was thinking at the very beginning of your talk, you were talking about, you know, uh, the Buddha's practice not leaving one, one being out. And that's um, <laughs> very challenging for me. And I immediately went to, uh, you know, political people that I see in the news that just espouse hatred and uh, I, I, I mean, the thought doesn't even occur to me when I hear that, you know, compassion doesn't even come into my mind. I immediately feel repulsed. And uh, so I'm just wondering, you know, I mean, your talk tonight, I hope, will help me to uh, pivot uh, when this happens from now on, because your talk was a wonderful reminder of practice and including all beings. Um, I mean, I, some, I sometimes when I have people in my life uh, that I, are difficult for me, you know, I, uh, compassion comes into mind and letting go of thoughts comes into mind. But somehow when I see these people uh, on the television that are just espousing hatred, uh, it doesn't even occur to me. So I, I, I'm just kind of rambling, but I'm just wondering if you have any uh, practice. Like I said, I hope your talk will refresh this in my mind and help me to make that pivot. But I'm wondering if you have any uh, additional practice to offer. Thank you. Thank you. That's a very complicated question you've just asked. Um, <laughs> it's... I um I think what I'm finding right now is I I can I I can resonate with you regarding the aversion towards certain folks or towards certain beliefs certain speech um, words and simultaneously I'm finding that um, the hatred that arises in me is a poison to me it's like wanting somebody to die and drinking the poison myself expecting them to die it's not going to happen um, and it's it's not going I don't think it's an effective way for me to be and one of the things that I'm 
working towards is committed to and this is no easy task. Um, I don't mean this in any simple form um, because uh, to really transform hatred is, is great practice. Um, and that's where I feel like um, the Bodhisattva vow helps me to realign myself with my vow and develop, develop my capacity because I too am an asshole. I too am trying to be an unasshole. So how can I not have compassion for others, for other assholes, quite honestly, if I might be honest? <laughs> I mean, funny, not funny, right? Um, so I, um, I need, I need to really turn the light around and develop my capacity. That doesn't mean that I acquiesce and I'm complicit in through silence. When I see harm being done, um, I do what I can, um, and I can, I'm, I'm working at it. I'm working at transforming my hatred into having compassion for myself so I can extend that compassion out and developing wisdom for myself and untangling my karma um, so that I can show up. I can show up in a good way and not contribute as much to the harm being done because the harm is being done first with myself and then to the people I'm interacting with and then to the earth. So um, was that helpful at all? It was kind of a riff. No, it was very helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's a constant practice, isn't it? It's continuous practice, right? Continuous. And we get verification. We get verification from our sangha that we're in this together. We're connected. We're working it. I mean, that's why we're in community, why we need each other. We can't do this work alone. And that's why I love Santa Cruz. I love all you guys. Because of the openness. <laughs> I don't, seriously, you guys rock in the beautiful. an invitation to come back anytime. <laughs> we even have, you know, a room waiting for you up in the Sangha house. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I digress. <laughs> Thank you for that question. Any other thoughts or comments? Um, I was think have been thinking about this. Hi. Hey, Shanti. Shakti. Oh, Shakti. Um, I've been thinking about this, and um, I tr what I try to do 
when I find something that someone is doing harmful or offensive or um I also think about the causes and conditions that create who we are and that their causes and conditions created their who they are and that it's not like I'm letting them off the hook but I'm also um it's kind of a way of bringing compassion into the way I um, think about other people. And then that helps, like you say, it helps my own heart stay open and not closed to people that I'm, I have, you know, a problem with the way that they're behaving. Because that's inevitable, right? That's inevitable of the human condition that some people are going to be live in delusion and greed and hatred. And that's part of the human condition. And, and then what I just do is just try to realize that we're all interconnected. We're all part of the same juice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's we get we have the benefit of the practice you know we're 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 the fortunate ones to have a practice that we can settle into and have a sangha that we can um that we can gather with that can then hold us in this practice and and can and so for me i it's like this that my my venture in buddhism is is has been it's truly life saving i mean it's it's it holds me every day and um you know some people would say i'm a, a a Buddhist addict because I meditate every day, like twice a day, and I go to all the talks and I do all the studies, and but it really feeds me. It, mm. You know, it helps me to helps me every day. Just dealing with, you know, like you say, it's it's rough scene out there, and it's also you know dealing with the planetary. Um, just we don't know what's going to happen there's an uncertainty like you're saying living with uncertainty well i've been living with uncertainty for most of my life and i i just i've learned how to be kind of in an acceptance to a certain degree of like this is what it is and then how am I going to be with this? And, you know, this is, and and it really has held me. I think it's like a little bit of equanimity in that practice. Mm. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Equanimity. That's a wonderful place to be. Thank you. Yeah.
Well, I think that we might want to end with Shakti's words. Very beautiful. If that's okay with everybody. May our intention equally penetrate every being and place in the true merit of Buddha's way. Beings are not